Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Father, we turn now to your word. And I got to confess, Lord, uh, only you can make a Bible study a Bible study that is fruitful. I ask, Lord, that you would please guide me through this and guide these ears who are hearing, Lord, that we as a church may be united by the truths of Scripture as they are shown to us and taught to us. And if there is any thing in us, Lord, that is in error or based on pride or built up in something that is not of you, Lord, would you cast it aside? And would you teach your people, would you teach us how to follow Christ? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. Paul writing says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And that is true. That is the kind of verse that you probably have on your refrigerator, is it not? On t-shirts, on bumper stickers. This is the amazing point that Paul is driving to in this book of Galatians. Last week, Pastor Aaron began our study in Galatians, and indeed it is known as the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. In our nation, we focus a lot on, or rather we should, honestly, we focus a lot on what's called meritocracy, which is that You earn what you get. And there are wonderful principles about that that are absolutely true in the earthly realm. But in the heavenly realm, meritocracy, or earning it, is a grave error. Grace is the unmerited, unearned, unbought, undeserved favor of God. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ is exactly a gracious, gracious gospel. This verse, though, that we find on the refrigerators, that we, we stand upon in moments of trial, maybe you stood, stood upon that verse um, this last week, is a place of arrival in the text. And I think it's really important for us to understand that while this is a very strong and beautiful passage, there's a reason why Paul arrives here 
there's a reason why Paul has such strong language about the need for us to understand grace and for us to never allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to be something other than this. I'm titling this morning's message, Perspectives on Grace. Because as we walk through, and we're going to actually go back now to verse 11 in chapter 1, please turn there. We're going to see all the aspects of grace that are so important to understanding it and and the reason why Paul gets to this place of kind of heated announcement. Let's begin in verse 11. Paul has already told them the purpose of his letter, and he says, I'm, I'm surprised that you turned away from the gospel of grace. But now Paul begins here in verse 11 to tell them the reason why he is so adamant about this. And it has to do a lot with Paul's personal testimony and his own experiences as a converted Jew, as one who came to know the gospel. And I would hope for you also that as you have have come to be introduced to Christ, maybe you're newer to him, maybe you've walked with him for many years, that you also have a similar testimony about the need and the preciousness of grace to be how the gospel was given to you and how you received it. Paul writing in verse 11 says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was a very zealous man, but zeal is not truth. Zeal is just excitement. What are you zealous in? Paul, at this point, as he's discussing it, was zealous in the completely wrong thing. But when it pleased God, verse 15, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. And that's interesting because those are two acts that Paul had absolutely nothing to do with, is it? He had no no way of of causing his own birth. And he also is saying, "I I have no way of causing my own rebirth. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And this is the first point about the idea of the study of the gospel of grace is that the gospel of grace is a heavenly concept. It is not of man. Man would not come up with this plan. 
In fact, when you look at the world's religions, which are basically man's religions, they are all built on some kind of premise of having to do something, having to do a work, climb this mountain, go on that journey, do this pilgrimage, do, uh, die to this thing, be more this way. And the gospel of grace is completely opposite of all that. The gospel of grace is all about Jesus saying to you and to me, look what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. And then you and me are simply called to receive that by faith. That is the graciousness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a very important word in this section of Scripture as Paul is telling us his story, and it's the word reveal. Revealed. Even, even as I'm teaching this morning, I'm very well aware that as Paul talks about how it is not of man, that the work I do right now cannot be accomplished by my work. <laughs> I pray before I teach for revelation for you. I pray for inspiration for me. But it is God alone who convicts the hearts of men. It is God alone who tells them about truly his grace and his cross. It's God who reveals this to people who did not believe that before. It's God who maybe reinforces that in people who have already accepted grace. But it is revelation that is so important, and that is a heavenly thing. Think about the things in your life that you were veiled to before you became a follower of Christ. Think of the, the blinders that you had on. Think about how you saw people. How did you see people before you knew the love of Jesus Christ? Were they people that you could use to a particular end? Were they, were, they, were they just objects in your life for pleasure? How did you see your own life? Did you see yourself as, as, as meaningless, perhaps? As not having a purpose? Did you perhaps see yourself as with great pride, as though you were, you were better than others? And the gospel comes in through revelation and begins to remove all that veiling and to show each individual person two great things. You were made and designed by Heavenly Father. There are no created mistakes. And the second truth is this. You were redeemed with a great price. God shows so much value of you and me by offering the great sacrifice that he did through Jesus dying on a cross. Every drop of blood that was shed was for you. And those two great truths, do they not begin to change how you then see the world, how you see yourself, how you see the people around you? It unveils things, and that's what revelation does. It reveals truth. It reveals the purpose of life. We as Christians have such 
a wonderful inheritance in the revelation that we get through Jesus Christ. We get the opportunity to love people maybe the way that we never could have before. You know, the gospel is a very simple thing. The gospel is a very simple thing. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That paid the price. If you, if you receive that truth, if you believe and if you have faith in that, that he did that for you, then you are forgiven, set free of all the bondage of sin. They, it will not come back to you. This is not a, we don't believe at all in anything having to do with karma, nothing like that. And then you get eternal life. It's that simple. But that's part of the problem. Notice Paul here says at the end of this section that he did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, and he did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and then returned again to Damascus. What happened there is that Paul spent three years being taught by Jesus Christ away from people. And that makes me wonder, why did it take three years to teach him something that I just told you in about 15 seconds? Why, why did it take him that long. I mean, Paul's a smart guy, right? He wrote a lot of letters, went through a lot of things. Why three years? Do you think it's because he couldn't understand the concepts? You think Paul was, was there arguing with Jesus Christ and no, wait, 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 wait a second. Ho, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. You died on a cross. Yes, Paul, we just talked about that. You died yeah, I still don't get it. No, I don't think Paul was wrestling with, wasn't wrestling with the simplicity of the gospel. He was wrestling like you do, like I do. He was wrestling with everything else that he had already learned about life. A lot of the Christian life is about learning, but a lot of it is also about un- learning. Unlearning. You have to learn again like, like a baby. And this is, why, this is why Jesus talks about the new birth being a new birth. Because when you're a, a baby Christian, you don't know what to do. You've been set free by this amazing gospel. And now you've got to work it into how you actually are as a human being, how you speak, how you act how you take out the trash can, how you cook food, what you think, what you really think, <laughs> what you really, really think when you're by yourself and no one knows that thought that you don't want to tell anybody. Yes, that one. The one you're thinking of right now, that one. And we have to unlearn these things. We have to surrender. And I think 
that was probably the hardest thing for Paul, who was such who had such zeal for Judaism. He thought it was, he thought it was what we were just singing. He thought it was the way, the truth, and life. He thought that. He was convinced by that, and he was completely wrong, and he was experiencing the gospel. It was revealed to him, and now he had to spend those years. But 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 my mama said this. And Jesus goes, but it's it's this. Well, but but I but I but I grew up my whole life doing 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 this, and that was told I was that was good. He, he was thinking that was good, and I I'm I'm I sh-. And Jesus says, no. No. And Paul had to unlearn, and unlearn, and unlearn. He had to stop arguing. <laughs> Who here has ever argued with Jesus? The slow hands of I'm not going to lie in church. (laughs) Arguing with Jesus. What's wrong with you people? Arguing with Jesus? Are you serious? Yeah, you are serious. Yeah, it happens all the time. You want me to do that? You want me to say that? You want me to not say that? To not say that? I think I preach a lot on things not to say. I don't know if you've noticed that. That's a problem that I have. (laughs) The ministry of closing the yapper. Maybe we should just all pray right there. Be like, you know, that's probably what the Lord has his hand on, right? The ministry of closing our mouths. You have to unlearn things. And when the gospel of grace comes, you have to unlearn and unlearn and unlearn and unlearn some more. And this is what grace was to Paul as he had to unlearn all these things. But that was just the first part because as you know, there's a certain way of learning grace when you're with Jesus, the author of grace, the perfecter of grace, the perfecter of your faith as the scriptures tell us. You know, when you're in your devotion time and you're like, me and the Lord, never been closer, you know, love the Lord, filled with the Spirit, life's great, and then you leave your prayer closet, and then, and oh, there's other people in the room who don't feel the same way that I do, and who need lots of bowls of Cheerios and juice refills, and, and then you run into this thing called people. Yeah people. And now you have to learn and unlearn about how to be gracious with people. And that's a whole other education. But heavenly things must come down and they must affect how you live and they must affect your relationships. Because people know the grace that is in you by how you 
present yourself. They taste it every time you speak, every sigh, every rolling of the eyes, every eyebrow movement. I know that's not very good. Body language. You got gracious body language? Okay, let's talk. Let's deal with this. Yeah, I loved you. I love you. I love you. Look, I said it. I love you. Okay? Check. Done. Okay? Set it at the altar. Let's go. Gracious body language? I don't really know exactly what that looks like. I'm learning that myself. But it exists. Because our lives are supposed to be filled with grace. And see, Paul first learned those amazing things about grace by himself, but then he also began to experience it in his relationships with other people. Read with me now in, in, uh, in verse 18 of chapter 1. Then after three years, again, those three years of unlearning, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. So he's now going to meet the others who have, who have been partakers of the grace of God. And I remained with him 15 days. I, would that be a really cool thing to be a fly on the wall to see the Paul and Peter meeting for the first time, you know? Like, what, what do they talk about? They're like, hey, you like macaroni and cheese too? That's great, man. How they began to mingle. How to, what was their first conversation like? You know, were they, were they like, uh, I don't know what to talk about. You know, did they have way too much to talk about? They were both talking at the same time. That's probably more likely, right? Paul and Peter, they were probably like, oh, no, 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 you first. And they're just, 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 you ever have those conversations where like, you can't figure out who's starting, who's stopping because they're both type A personalities? <laughs> yeah, love those prayer meetings. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, the church was persecuted in Jerusalem and people were actually sent to other places. This is called the diaspora or sending out. And I was unknown by face to the churches in Judea, which were in Christ. They didn't know him. Peter had heard of him, James as well. And these churches were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Now, Paul has experienced the graciousness of Jesus Christ for himself. But remember who he was. He was not some kind of small character on the scene. He was someone who, as he walks now into Jerusalem, as he goes and, and meets Peter and, his, and, and James and all these people, he has probably been the reason why some of their families were hurt or killed. Imagine, imagine you at your house and a person comes and knocks on your door and you open it and it's the person who has caused you and your family heartache and pain and suffering who has taken away 
actual lives, who has murdered because of his name. That's not going to be an easy situation for gracious body language, is it? But they have heard this thing, and now the challenge comes for grace to affect real relationship, real people, real harm. Does grace have enough power? Does it have enough power to make these guys who were formerly completely against each other brothers of grace? Does it have the power? It does. It does have the power. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 26. Yes, you thought we were done with the study of the book of Acts, but you, you were wrong. We read a little bit more about what this story was really like when Saul comes into Jerusalem and what really happened here. Acts 9.26, and it says, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Hey guys, it's me, murderous Saul. But I've changed. I've changed. You ever heard that from people? I've changed, man. And then you're like, oh, (laughs) let's see if that's true. But they were all afraid of him for good reason. And he and did not believe that he was a disciple. <laughs> That's his greeting. The, you know, <laughs> like, stay away. But Barnabas, and, we'll, and note this name here because it's going to come back in our, our text here. But Barnabas, verse 27, took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. That was what happened. That's... Well, let's just think of it this way. Barnabas, Barnabas had to go way out of his comfort zone and grace will make you go way out of your comfort zone. Way, way, way out of your comfort zone. If this white line is your comfort zone, uh, some of you think that grace will make you do this. Well, I'll just kind of, I'll touch, I'll touch the line, touch the line, you know, I'll, I'll do that. But grace does not do that. Grace says, here's the line. Long jump, boom. Olympic style. That was a really bad long jump. My daughter, she's three, has the most incredible long jump. She can jump literally from like here to about here. That has nothing to do with this study. It's just an interesting fact to share. First time I saw it, I was like, she's a frog. It's crazy. I think she might have actually been wearing like one of those frog outfits at the same time. Hence my conclusion. Back to the study. Thank you, Lord. So, Grace now has to become 
something that is not as just received, but bestowed. It's easier to receive the grace of Jesus Christ than it is to bestow it on others. It is. And if you're not used to your comfort zone of that grace requires you to go out of, let me encourage you to ask the Lord to make your little comfort zone different. Because it should be. It should be. Your comfort zone needs to change. Or the Lord maybe needs to make you more comfortable outside of it. That is something that he does and he can do. So grace is making progress between these people. They have allowed Paul in. Barnabas has extended the hand. Peter now has obviously come and said, okay, you know, because we, we hear we, and we read here the text, they glorified God in me. They saw the work of grace in Paul's life. Now, Paul, just to be clear here, wasn't still that murderous guy. He had changed. If you, and if you accept, ex- expect people to receive you as the new creation that Christ says that you are, you need to make sure that it's not just with like words only that you come into those relationships and situations that are hard. But you need to become that changed person. Some of you may need to change a little bit more before you go into that situation expecting to be received. Some of you need to eat that piece of humble pie that tastes so good with cream and sugar and whipped cream on top. Some of you need to make sure that your words and your deeds match. Because the grace of God must, must, must make a difference in how we live. So Paul has experienced this from the Lord Jesus. He's experienced it from Barnabas and Peter. And then Peter does this another amazing thing in this next section of Scripture. Read with me now in chapter 2. This is 14 years later. This is now at the end of Paul's first missionary journey. It says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Notice who he went with. There's a reason why they became friends. And also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation. Notice that word again. Just as the gospel had been revealed to him, so he was still hearing from the Lord, and the Lord was telling him that he needed to go up and back to Jerusalem. And communi- to, uh, excuse me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, that would be the apostles and other church leaders, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. I, I love reading this, this sentence because it tells me of the change that has occurred in Paul. He tells us here, but I, I did it graciously. I came nicely. 
I, I wanted to check in with these guys. That, that's a different Paul. <laughs> that's a different Paul right there. And yet we read here, because of what was happening, it says now in verse 3, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that may be like, well, why would he be compelled to be circumcised? What does that have to do with this? Let's read on. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But, those, but from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised or for the Jew had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised, oh, sorry, for the uncircumcised, excuse me, that would be the, uh, the Gentiles, had been committed to me, Paul, as the gospel for the circumcised or Jews was then committed to Peter. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, the pillars of the church, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Again, the grace multiplies, doesn't it? That we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. This last sentence, just as a kind of an aside, a note, it's probably more about the distribution of monies in, in helping the local churches. They had to, in a lot of persecuted areas at this time, help each other out. You know, if they had been removed from their families or lost their belongings or persecuted, he's just saying, don't, don't, don't forget about us. Don't forget about the other churches. Let me show you what was really going on here as far as all this stuff with the circumcised and uncircumcised. Turn with me back to the book of Acts, yeah, chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, and it gives us a, a better understanding of all this stuff that was happening. It says in Acts 15, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That was a problem. That was a problem. Because it made salvation about something besides grace. It added to it. It made it a work. And once you do that, you undermine the entire thing. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, a.k.a. a giant argument, and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. That's what we read about in Galatians. He was, it was revealed to him to go up to Jerusalem. 
So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. Everybody else is, is, is really happy about the gospel being there for the Gentiles. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. Notice he doesn't point out the previous contentions, right? Things have changed. And they reported all things that God had done. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, so there were Pharisees who had now become Christians, rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Again, the problem comes. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Peter now being the voice piece of grace, says, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Peter had had this amazing experience with Cornelius. It was revealed to him from heaven also, the sheet coming down, the animals, unclean, not so, my Lord. And the Lord says, no, 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 you don't get it, you don't get it. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. This isn't going to be a divided gospel, a gospel just for the Jews. Far from it. And he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith, not by what? Not by works. Now, therefore, why do you test God? He's very strong in his language here. Why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So they're now hearing the testimony of what grace has done through Paul as he now takes the gracious gospel to others. And they're like, wow, that happened? That happened? That happened? And after they had become silent, James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. James, the head of the church at Jerusalem, Simon Peter has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take the, I'm sorry, to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. And he quotes from the book of Amos. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. And then just skipping ahead to verse 19, therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Peter now takes up the, the banner of grace in defending the grace that God has given 
even though there are these from the outside who say, and remember, they're just like Paul. They haven't learned to unlearn their past. They think it still has to apply in the same ways. And now the grace of God is being confused. And it is being undermined. Peter comes to the rescue for the grace being for all people. And that is something that we have to wrestle with as well. Do you think that God's grace is just for you and your family and the people that you like? Do you think it is for certain nations of the world and not for others? Do you think that in some way it is limited in its power to affect other people? Have you ever said to yourself, man, that person can't get saved? Or thought to yourself, well, that's a lost cause. There are no lost causes aside from the grace of Jesus Christ. No one you've ever met on their lowest, lowest step can be kept from what the grace of God can do in them. No one. And this is part of the comfort zone that we really need to wrestle with as a church. The Lord wants us to be as gracious with others as he was with us. And we need to pray that we would grow in that. So the grace was given to Paul. The grace came down and met Paul and and Peter and their relationship. Grace was now saved by Peter. And then although it seems like all is good in the neighborhood of grace, something happens. The council of Jerusalem had made this very gracious decree. This is how our behavior ought to be with one another, accommodating both Jew and Gentile in behavior, allowing them to fellowship. But something happens with Peter who had been the rescuer And read with me in verse 11 of Galatians 2. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Well, that's a very different thing. I'm not sure how gracious Paul was here, but for good reason. I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. What did Peter do? Why are they now in conflict? For before certain men came from James, so he's saying before these guys from from James, from Jerusalem came, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he then withdrew from them and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Now remember, these guys of the circumcision, these Judaizers had gone in many cities, were very zealous, just like Paul, had caused lots of problems. There There was a rational fear. Not a godly fear, but a rational fear. Peter had been experiencing the freedom that comes with Christ, and he'd been eating with Gentiles. He first ate with with, uh, Simon the Tanner. Do you remember that? 
And now he's, he's continuing that practice. He's, he's living out his grace. But then when these guys come who maybe know these Judaizers, he fears again. Do you know that just a little bit of fear will cause you to go back into your comfort zone? Just a little bit of fear will cause you to abandon the grace that God has given you. Just a little bit of fear. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas, remember Barnabas was the one who came and first welcomed Paul in. And now he's saying, now Barnabas, who had been so gracious, Even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, and that's what this is really about, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew, Peter, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as a Jew, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? And I just want to be really clear here. You can have all kinds of freedoms and practices that that's allowed to you. Peter had the right to go eat with the Jews or not. The problem was that he was setting a precedent and now people were following that precedent that you had to do it in a certain way and it would cause others to stumble and to fall. And that grace would be the great victim. This small thing that Peter had done because of a little bit of fear was now threatening to undermine the entire gospel of grace. And he tells him, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You never will. You never have. But if we, but if, excuse me, but if, verse 17, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. And then he arrives at the heroic statement that which, with which we began. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And there's a few last things I want to, I want to bring up today. The law is good, but it is not saving good. The law is like a mirror. It shows us our error. When you drive down the interstate and it says 70 and your speedometer says 93, 
the law did not save you, what did it do? It convicted you, if you allow it to. The law never had the power to save people. The law only ever had the power to show you how bad you really are. How stinky. You know, like when you're by yourself after a stressful day where you've been sweating and you go, go and you're by yourself and you kind of do this? <laughs> Just to check? That's us all the time, people. We'd be a stinky, stinky people. And the law shows us how stinky we really are. And Peter, when he made this error, and I, I mean, like, it's hard to know. Was, was Peter intentionally trying to veil the gospel of grace? I, I don't think so. I think when, like, when you react by fear, you're, you're, you're consumed with that one, that one motive, right? Self-preservation, the wretchedness of self. But what it did is it caused all the people who know their own stinkiness, who have heard the law, to think, oh, I just need to follow the, the law. And, and Jesus is good too. And you see what happens. And if that is allowed to snowball in any kind of way in your minds or your hearts, it will do incredible damage because the gospel has to be something that is not at all merited, not at all earned. And that one thing, just that one thing could cause it to come crashing down. Because when you make the gospel about something that you do, you nullify its power. You nullify what it can do actually in your life and you make it about what you can do. And the Christian faith is exactly opposite of that. Do you know that you're saved by grace? Do you know that no work that you can do can make you righteous before God? Do you, do that? Do you know that nothing that you, you do, even in obedience to Christ, will make you more, more righteous in His eyes? Do you know that no amount of mission work or service here or service family will make you more saved? Do you know that you can't become more righteous than what Christ has made you righteous? Do you know this? Because if you know this and you practice this, guess what? All the relationships that you have between yourself and the Lord, between yourself and other people, will be much, much, much easier because you're not putting on them all the weights and all the things of the expectations. Grace is not about expectation. It's about receiving. And you begin to take off all the tethers. Why do you argue with people? It's because you have a certain standard of righteousness. That's not up to you to decide. It's up to you to receive the grace and be righteous in Him. And then to allow someone else that same space to play in that God gave to you. He didn't just give you the grace so that you could kind of hoard it over here for somebody else. He's like, let grace Go, let it abide, let it do something in your life, in your relationships, and stop holding people and other people 
and other people to a different gospel than was what you yourself received. And see, that's the danger. That we become gracious Christians for ourselves. Peter, it seems, was fine, right? Oh, I have the grace to, I have the freedom to eat with the Jews and the Gentiles. But he didn't realize that what he was doing was opening a can of worms by that one thing. I'm going to show you a quick picture of something before we get into communion. Can you put that picture up? This is a bridge in Tampa Bay. This is called the Skyway Bridge. Has anybody driven over the Skyway Bridge? Actually, you drove over Skyway Bridge number two. In 1954, the first Skyway Bridge was built. It was an engineering marvel at the time. What do bridges do? They connect places, right? They allow you to get from here to there. And everything was going right from 1954 to 1980. But on this one day in 1980, and this one moment, this one error happened. That barge ship that you see there in a storm, in the fog, not knowing what was happening, hit the Skyway Bridge. Let's go see the next picture. It took out 1,200 feet of the bridge. 1980, that's not that long ago. 35 people died. Let's go to the next picture. One person almost died. Go to the next slide. This guy. What do you think it was like to be that guy who stopped just in time? That is what Paul is doing to Peter. He's stopping him so that the bridge of salvation and grace wouldn't be destroyed. What happened then was that it was. And again, it was a single day, a single time, and it has that much power to take out that strong a bridge of connecting. And the problem is here for us that if we do anything that harms or tries to add to or detracts from the true gospel of grace is what you actually do is destroying a bridge that God has made to connect himself with his people. He's saying, this is the bridge to come to me. It is by grace that you have been saved. And this bridge must stand and we must not make it about anything else, or, next slide, this will happen. I know this is a very serious note to end on, but it needs to be. It needs to be because there are ramifications 
about if we make it something different. Go ahead and show the next slide. These are the people who perished. They're actual names. They're actual peoples. They're actual ages. Some of them are in their 60s. Some of them are in their 50s. Some of them are in their months. I know it's hard. But we need to remember that in the same way that we look at an accident like this and take a look at the actual names of the actual victims of people who were in an actual accident about a bridge that actually was destroyed, that we also have to make sure that the bridge of the gospel of grace stays as it is. It must be a bridge of grace. And as we turn now to communion, if you have your communion cup, worship team, come on up. I want you to remember this, that when you take of the bread and the cup, you are taking nothing else but the gift of grace, and you are remembering the gift of grace and if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, if you never actually walked across that bridge of grace, first of all, don't take the bread and the cup until you decide. But second of all, you can decide right now that you want the forgiveness of your sins and that it is by the grace of God that it is given to you a gift. And you can pray right now and ask the Lord Jesus to come in and be your Savior. You repent of your sins, believe on what he, the work He did on the cross, and as the Word tells us, John 10, 9, I am the door, Jesus speaking, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, and that is the Christian life, the going in and out of the pasture, but entering by the single door of the gospel of grace, of what Jesus did on the cross. And no one here, whether a 40-year veteran, a 20-year veteran, a six-month-old baby in Christ, or maybe today, born again right now and receiving Christ, no one crosses that bread, excuse me, that bridge because of what they did. They only cross it. You only cross it because of what Jesus did for you. Communion is a celebration of the grace of God. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Why don't we all right now take and eat of the body? And then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And let us now take the gracious cup. 
Ah, the plasticky sounds of grace. I told you grace had a body language and you just, you just experienced it. How is it that we have been given so great a gift? How is it that by doing this simple thing called taking the bread and the cup that we get to touch the grace of Jesus Christ, the maker and the redeemer of all mankind? How is it that such a simple thing has so much power? I don't know, but it does. And I dare not touch it and make it something that it is not. Do not touch the bridge that Jesus has made, the bridge of grace. If today you are listening online and you need to pray and receive Christ, if you need to speak to someone, if you need prayer, again, the number is 239-205-3353. Text the word RESPOND to that number. If you are here and you need to pray with someone about receiving Christ, or if you need prayer for a particular thing going on in your life or your family's life, at the close of our service, we're going to sing a, a song of worship to the Lord. We're going to sing a, a communion song and then also a song of worship and praise. Come up here afterwards. There are prayer counselors here, and we are ready because we want to serve you with the same grace that has been given us. I want to be gracious with you as the Lord has been gracious to me. Let us be gracious today. God, one prayer. Thank you for saving us by your gracious gift.